This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again, Doug Collum. Welcome back, everybody, to SiriusXM's Bay Area Ventures on SiriusXM. I'm your host, Doug Collum. Uh, For those people who are just now joining us as they commute from work back to home, our show is about the world of entrepreneurship and startups and venture capital and thought leaders mostly focused here on companies and organizations here in the in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, if you've got questions during the course of the program, you can give us a call. The number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So we are joined now by our second guest, and I've been mispronouncing the name. This His name is Kosh Mather, and he is the chief operating officer of a company called Choose. Kosh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we go any further, how do you spell choose? <laughs> choose is C-H-E-W-S-E. So a common for, question, actually. So for people who want to contact choose, it's choose.com. Yeah, exactly. It's that simple. C-H-E-W-S-E. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, quickly, what does choose do? Yeah, so we're in uh, office dining. Uh, and what we do is we curate menus from local restaurants and then uh, work with companies um, in, in the markets we operate in, learn what they like to eat, don't like to eat. And we bring breakfast, lunch, dinner, and uh, happy hour food uh, in a full hosted service. What's you, so based on what little I know about the, the corporate food catering business, th- there are a ton of companies out there that provide catering for corporations. I'm just thinking about my experiences here in San Francisco. Yeah. What's unique about Chews? Yeah, I mean, good point. Everyone yeah. eats, right? Yeah, we all eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so the part of the market that we focus on is uh, uh, companies that sort of have consistent recurring meals and are looking to bring in a partner who can kind of use food as a platform to help um, bring people together uh, in their workplace. So that's kind of how we we see the world. All of our food is uh, delivered family style. Um, so people kind of like get together around sort of a kitchen table. Do, do you promote that within when you enter into a, a relationship with a new account? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's actually a big reason why companies choose to work with us um, over, you know, a more traditional drop drop food drop off service um it's it's that sort of ability to to build connection at work so it's family style exactly. it's, it's cultural yes we're definitely going to come back to this oh yeah, yeah. there's a there's a lot baked into that <laughs> yeah i know that, that covers a lot of ground so your background gosh so who, who are you and, and what it, you know give us just kind of a high level you know how long you've been in the bay area what companies or things that you've done before landing on choose yeah, so um, I've been in the Bay Area for a few years now. Uh, quick background, in one form or the other, I've been in food and beverage uh, most of my career. Um, while I was at Wharton, I started a company. Oh, you went to Wharton? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. Yep. So uh, while I was there, I uh, started a company in the food and beverage space. We actually um, were trying to build a water infrastructure worldwide. So are you from the East Coast then? Yeah. Okay, yeah. before you came out to the West Coast. Yeah, yeah okay. so I grew up on the East Coast. Okay. Um, was there most of my life. Uh, spent a couple of years in Chicago before before coming out here. So I think I've been here since 2015, which uh, feels like a long time. It does, but on the other hand, it's still it's not quite long enough where you can... Do you call this home or too soon to know? <laughs> No, it's interesting. I was just reflecting on that recently. I think there's something about California that when you're here, you, you realize you, you really kind of connect with it. So Yeah, I mean, uh, the weather's part of it, I think. But there is, <laughs> I mean, this is something we could talk about, actually. I, I mean, I do think I'm parochial. I'm from Menlo Park. Okay. Uh, and I think this is, nor- I think the Bay Area is normal. It's only when you talk to people, Kaj, like yourself, who come into the Bay Area where they say, you know, this is not the real world. But I mean, what what's been your experience in the four years that you've been here? That's that's a such a good question. I uh, I think it's definitely more than the weather. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's uh there's an attitude in in the Bay Area that feels I feel very connected to in terms of you know what I like to do, which is of course you know entrepreneurship and, yeah. and sort of being in the startup world and the amount of sort of understanding and support you get from people here. Yeah. Um, and you, you get that elsewhere, but it's, it's different. It's sort of a deeper level of understanding. 
uh, which makes it makes it kind of feel like home a little bit. So I assume you go back and visit family on the East Coast from time to time just to kind of make sure that they're not forgotten (laughs) and they don't forget you. Um, So previous previous experiences, what what have you done with other companies or other other engagements? Oh, so just quick overview. I I, um, so while I was in Wharton, I started a company um, and. Did that for a few years. We uh, uh, we built water projects worldwide by by selling products into um, uh, natural grocery stores and places like that. Like and, water bottles. Yes, exactly. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, I did that for a few years. Then I uh, went out to Chicago. So hang on. So was that a venture backed or was that kind of your bootstrap uh, enterprise? It was bootstrapped at first and then funded by angels, but okay. not a yeah. pure venture backed firm. Yeah. Choose okay. is. Uh, the first purely venture back firm I've been part of. Oh wow! Yeah, which is really exciting and part of the reason. Um, That's why good so news and bad news. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different type of dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, different incentives. So I, I interrupted. So after you did the 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 water project company, then what happened? Yeah, so I, then I went out to Chicago um, and worked at a, a more traditional company. It was called McMaster. It'd been around for you know, over a hundred years. Yeah. Um, and that was really exciting. I did a lot of work in product and merchandising, uh, then came out to the Bay area to, to work in a, a company that made uh, food inspection equipment, sort of a manufacturing business. So you've been consistently in the food. Beverage yeah. And industry. sort of the operating yeah. side of, or, or product side. Was that, so as a career management question, was that an intentional <laughs> or, or was it just serendipity that you kind of went from, from one stone to the next one, and you kept fi- finding yourself in the food industry. You know, I didn't realize I had spent, m- you know, most of my career touched uh, with food until recently. It was it was kind of surprising when I connected the dots. Actually, it wasn't it wasn't intentional. Yeah. Um, but I think I just pursued problems I found interesting, and then you know, ten years later, realized there was a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long have you been with Choose? I joined Shoes. Uh, I think my two-year anniversary is coming up in April. So, does that make you a veteran or just uh, a new employee? Uh, at, at, in the VC world, I guess that makes me a veteran. Yeah. At Choose, it also probably makes me a, a veteran. <laughs> Did you come on board as COO? No. So, I, I first found Choose because they were looking for a VP of Ops, um, and uh, I was interested in in the company and honestly the culture. You know, back to that point you brought up earlier. Yeah. We'll, we'll come to that. Yeah, 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 and and sort of the business opportunity. Um, so I joined as a VP of Ops and uh, then sort of started to take on more roles as it was needed, uh, and then became CEO a little so, bit later. So for people who are listening, it, it, I've had this discussion before, but not on the radio program. What is the difference between a VP of operations and a chief operating officer in in your in, in this context with a company like Choose? What yeah. changed in your role when you went from one to the other? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the simplest answer is, you know, I was responsible for more things now, right? But I think um, there is a difference between – it's really that word operations versus operating in a way. Like the chief operating officer is responsible for for – Ensuring the entire company is operating to plan. You cover more more waterfront, right? Within the within the business plan of the company. right, and ensuring the company is in operating control. You know, versus yep. operations is a subset of one of many things the company does and needs at the time. Yeah, it's more focused. In other words, yeah, ex- okay. exactly. And it's it's a nuance that uh, another thing I hadn't really thought about until more recently when you know Choose is going through a lot of change right now, and I'm trying to understand how my role evolves. And and speaking to other COOs, um, those are sort of conclusions I've started to see a little bit more. I mean, this is an. We'll come back to this too. I do think it's an interesting point because there are a lot of titles that are given out at tech yeah. companies, and yep. there's no one size that fits all. Every company has its own expectation, its own particular point of focus. Yep. And your mission is to which you've accepted. <laughs> your mission is to execute and and to and to fulfill that mission. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a good point. Um, actually, a lot of what I've noticed speaking to to folks who are further ahead in terms of their companies being further ahead is um, the scope of responsibilities is kind of different everywhere, even for the same title. Well, the other so normally when we have I mean, most, not most, many of the guests that we've had on the program are CEOs or founders. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a different perspective of the mountain. It's not necessarily the top of the mountain. It's just a different perspective on right. the mountain. What I think is distinctive about 
the COO position is you are in between somebody, you're reporting to somebody else, probably the CEO. Exactly. But there are people that report to you. And as a general premise, this is my own personal thesis, and you can tell me I'm full of it, is that, you know, when you're, when you're in that layered position, there's, there's stress that results from it because somebody's looking steely-eyed at you <laughs> for performance. And by the same token, you're turning around and expecting people under, under, under your supervision to be doing what they need to do to, to make the whole organization work. So there's a I'm, – I'm wandering here, but I do think it's uh, – No, no, I, I get what you're saying. It's, it's, it's hard. I think it's a hard job. It's uh, it's it's definitely a it's a challenging job yeah. because of the reasons you described. You know, it's I think it's for an executive role. It's it's probably the most undefined. Like you could walk into ten companies and ask, "What does a CFO do?" and get pretty similar answers. Yeah. Um. Same for several other roles. You know, what does your CTO do? Whatever it might be. Uh. But there is sort of this this ambiguity that comes from kind of what you're describing being in you know, uh, in it reporting to a CEO, um, it also having oversight over, over the company hitting, hitting your goals, hitting yeah. your plan. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, back up, tell, tell us about the food catering industry in general, not specific to help shift, but, you know, provide a foundation for people who don't really know that much about, um, food catering for corporations. Yeah. I mean, the, the place to start is everyone eats, right? That's uh, yeah. the universal truth, I, I get which that. is a, yeah. a, a great uh, a reason to be in a market, right? Um, but when you sort of layer into the, the corporate side, uh, there's a lot of reasons why companies you know, might order food. Um, could be for meetings, which is quite typical. It could be for, as a retention lever, a culture building lever, um, or, or sort of uh, you know, for, for different types of clients, that sort of thing. Um, and all these these uh, factors sort of play into the service that we provide. Uh, and we've really kind of, you know, focused on um, companies that are primarily looking for food as a lever for building culture and retention uh, into yeah. their businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and But through that kind of foothold, we've also then been able to, to touch those other areas as, as well. So, so do you have any numbers? You, I mean, it sounds to me like this is a massive yeah. market. I mean, as you say, everybody eats and most yeah, it's people... It's about 30 billion in size or so and it's, it's Across grown. the... Nationally? Nationally. Yeah, okay. Right. And it's it's uh, grown over the last um, decade or so. It's it's interesting because uh, a lot of the service we provide, you know, it's at a, a reasonable price point, right? And much of this industry, much of this this space kind of started to come about after the financial crisis, you know, when companies sort of stopped working with high-end caterers and, and sort of things like that because it just wasn't cost-effective anymore. And uh, with a model like ours where we're bringing food from local restaurants and we're managing the entire experience, so there's a massive convenience factor, um, you get that community touch point and that peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, um, I was going to say it's been like a tender. 12-year bull market at this point since the 2008 recession. Yeah. And it, it doesn't hurt. I'm sure that, you know, the economy is looking good and companies have the, um, you know, have the ability to, to you know, have food brought in as mm-hmm. opposed to insisting that their employees bring sack lunches or something. Um, no, so, so come back. So um, the profile, what's the profile of, of, of uh, choose? How many employees, where are they? Um, is it venture backed? Uh, I mean, give us. Yeah, a are you talking about our customers or us? Of of choose the company, the startup. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're now at about two hundred fifty folks, uh, eighty full time or so, and the rest um, part time uh, drivers and hosts. Um, uh, actually, unlike uh, many of our competitors, we've we've hired uh, most of our or all of our team. Um, so they're part of, you know, they're choose employees as opposed to contractors. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a big part of. Uh, that's, a, that's a big, uh, th- that is distinctive. Yeah, yeah and it, it ties back to culture, which um, is, is very much part of the service we offer and who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, by having, you know, folks a part of the company, uh, we we can really bring them into the choose ethos and then have that translate to the customer as well, that hospitality experience. So 150, you said 150 customers? I mean, uh, 250. 250. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. About 80, 90 full time. Um, 
And they're mostly based here in San Francisco? So uh, now we actually operate in four markets. Um, so uh, most of the folks in the HQ is, is in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, but we also have metro offices in uh, the San Jose Mountain View area, yeah. uh, Los Angeles. Uh, and actually starting today, um, we, we just started service in Austin today. Today was the first day of service. Which is really exciting. God, so we're expanding as we speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so we'll come to that too. I just think uh, it's interesting. I, I think I recall that when you started in the materials that I was looking at, it says the company started in L.A. That's correct. And then there was kind of an adjustment and there was a, a focus on the San Francisco market to make it work. And then you reopened in Los Angeles under whatever using whatever tweaking had been done. Yeah. Were you part were you part of the company at that point? So um when was I, the company formed? Yeah, so I, I joined the company when we uh, were getting ready to enter in LA again. Um and I read the same materials. Actually that was one of the biggest reasons why uh, I was excited about Choose. What year I, was that when you joined? Uh two thousand and seventeen. Okay. Yep. Yeah so so and and from my understanding um was choose joined uh, 500 startups in around 2012 13 and that's an accelerator for it's an accelerator in, in yeah. the bay area yeah. and kind of moved up here um and through that process was operating both in la and san francisco right right out of the out of the chute right yeah. and and uh well they were primarily operating in la they got up here and then they realized that you know there was a, everyone was essentially saying like, "Hey, could you could you get food for us as well?" Yeah, and so they started the SF service, um, and and through that process, kind of learned that, you know, we really need to focus on an area to to get our systems and processes and unit economics right. Get it right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So they made a pretty tough decision to to shut down temporarily Los Angeles so that they could really get the process right. Uh, and I remember reading about that while I was, you know, learning about Choose and being really excited uh, that, okay, this is a, a team that makes pretty tough decisions around focusing, yeah. you know, to get it right. Like going a little bit slower, taking a step back to ultimately take several steps forward. Um, so that ended up being something that I found appealing. Actually, even now when I'll interview people, they'll bring that up. And I'll kind of share. It's, you know, it's in the press. I yeah. mean, for people who have done their diligence, it's I guess it's kind of an obvious question to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you joined with the company, how many employees were there? If you've been on board for two years, there are 250 now. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how many people were in the company at the time you joined? Uh, at the time, there were about uh, 40 or so. Yeah. Um, and when I joined, we just we then started the transition to hire our drivers and hosts. Um, so yeah, it was about 40 or so, and, and it's, it's definitely grown quite a bit. For people who are just joining us, I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Kosh Mother, who's the COO, the chief operating officer of Choose, which is a corporate food, not, it's a unique corporate food catering business. And actually that's a nice segue because you've mentioned this word, um, host, uh, is that the right word? Yep. Yep. So, and so I want to weave what that is in the context of the culture and retention that you guys target when you go out and provide food service to companies. I yeah. assume they're, I, I assume they're related. Certainly, certainly. I mean, the, the host aspect, um, is core to our business. You know, we are providing a hospitality driven service, um, and, and essentially, our objective, you know, our, our larger mission actually is is to create a more authentically connected world uh, in the workplace specifically. Uh, and food is is sort of our lever to do that. Um, and so it's not enough for us to just drop off food and leave. Uh, we we like to have hosts on site who essentially embody that that same ethos. So, so take us through an example. I mean, I'm 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 just trying to understand what this what the meal host does. When he or she walks into a corporate, a, a strange corporate environment, yeah, and you've got a people, a lot of people in the room, who are hungry, and frankly, let's let's get to the food. Like, thanks so much. We gotta we gotta eat. So, yeah. So how does that? How does the how does the meal host conduct business? Yeah. So look, there's a core core logistics of it. Okay. So to yep. say, you know, when you're um, 
when you're serving in offices that are like 100, 200, 300 people, it's, it is slightly complex. It doesn't sound like it would be, but then when you dig into it, uh, there are logistics involved in it. And the host on site ensures that everything goes smoothly, that food's always in the trays, um, the people are you know lined up as it might be and, and getting the right amount of food. Um, so there's that core aspect. Does the host stay with the meal for the for, exactly. for its entirety? Exactly. The host is there to to essentially take the stress out of your hands or the the office manager. So they truly hands. do act as a host. Yes. Oh. Yes. They're they're on site through the service. They ensure the food is set up appropriately. Um, everyone's eating, um, and and uh, afterwards they do the cleanup. And a big part of what we do is we donate excess food as well. And they sort of manage that entire process, you know, and there's an element to, I talked earlier about the hospitality ethos and that training. That's, that's really important to, to how this is done. You know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of the, you know, you know, when you've walked into uh, a good hotel and when you walked into a great hotel, just by how you're, you're treated and how you're made to feel. And that's the type of, you know, philosophy that we, we bring to our host training. Um, and it's it's subtle, but it also creates an environment where people can kind of step back from work and really kind of take a mental break, connect with one another, uh, share experiences about the food or whatever it might be, and ensure that, you know, everything's going to get taken care of. And that's that's where our hosts come in to really facilitate that whole process. So how I'm just going to ask the question that occurs to me. In many cases, I assume that the company brings food on board and they want to have a working lunch and they're talking about company sensitive information or information. Maybe it's not particularly sensitive, but it's company information. And you've got a stranger, a host, a meal host <laughs> in your midst. How, how do you do, do you guys I assume this is part of the screening process when you're when you're lining up accounts. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So yeah. a big part of, um, is that the right question to ask? Well, so, so I, I think I get what you're, what yeah. you're driving at, right? Host matching is sort of an art in and of itself. You know, part of when we bring on a customer, uh, we really like to, we really try and understand the existing culture of that company and ensure they're sort of matched with the host that that works for them because it's a relationship building exactly. element of, yeah. of the business of and, your and we business. do business in a certain way we have a certain culture but we're we're not here to impose that on anyone we're here to kind of combine the the elements of what what you already do with you know our sort of philosophies around bringing people together mm-hmm. um and and different hosts are going to be effective in in different ways but it works i mean you've you've been able to come up with a uh, formula is too too specific, but you've come up with a, a yeah. means of matching hosts to accounts. And yeah, and it, it's it's worth <clears throat> saying that you know we strive to as much as possible always send a consistent driver or a consistent host, so that person uh, develops a real relationship with not just the office manager on site, but also the the diners there. Um, I I think when I go on customer visits, uh, I constantly listen for, you know, who is the customer mentioning, you know, is it their account manager, is it their salesperson, is it a driver, their host? And, and I, I constantly, you know, they talk about all of them, yep. but uh, the name of the host is mentioned so much, so frequently uh, and compared to anyone else. And it's because that's the person you see day to day. They feel like, yeah. you know, part of your company. Um, and that's what we're going for, right? Like we want our... That's a differentiator yeah, with all the other corporate catering companies out there. It's a big differentiator. And it's sort of one <laughs> of those things that a lot of times customers don't realize how valuable it is until they get it. And then it's uh, it's something that's we build upon with them, grow the relationship. So let me flip the question. Let's talk about culture and retention within Choose, within the company, it's within your company itself. Because it sounds like it sounds like there's a very strong, <clears throat> excuse me, like there's a very strong emphasis on culture as a means of holding people together and working together optimally. And yeah. it's, it's almost, um, it sounds like it's more emphatic within your company, Kosh, than what you hear typically from many companies. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's, I can start with my own experience, right? Yeah, sure. I think chooses culture is one of the biggest reasons why I was excited to to join the company. 
Um, and there's this, you know, a very powerful element of, of trust in the company that, that comes from, you know, for lack of a better word, vulnerability. Um, our, we're built around a culture, you know, they call it, they, we used to call it a love culture. Now we call it a love and excellence culture. It's sort of an evolution as, 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 as we mature, yeah. exactly yeah. as we've matured. Yeah. And, um, this, this love culture, you know, that I, that I was interviewing with and didn't fully understand, uh, it was so fascinating to me because it, it just sort of revealed a really deep care that people have for one another. And I sort of saw firsthand how, you know, conflict got resolved so easily because there was this baseline, you know, trust and willingness to be open with one another. And that that's a pretty exciting aspect of our culture. And and as I mentioned, since then, we've we've sort of evolved it to keep that, but also bring in, you know, standards of excellence that we expect. So there are people listening who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs and aspiring to do startup companies. And what I, I hear the words caution in terms of, you know, there's something special about choose. Can you give examples of of what is it that re what is it that creates the culture and what is it that makes it yeah yeah uh, so pervasive within the organization? You've got two hundred and fifty employees and it's in currently as we speak four offices. So I mean, it's this is not a trivial question, right? You know, I think it's a it goes down to how trust is built, um, and it's sort of this this uh, we have structures in place that kind of encourage. Um, people to open up, you know, uh, about, you know, issues at work and also personal. Uh, so for example, one of them is we, we start pretty serious meetings, like executive meetings, actually board meetings yeah, as well yeah. with an exercise called, if you really knew me and the exercise, you're smiling right now. So I, I wonder I'm, if you've I'm, heard I'm trying this. to anticipate. No, <laughs> I'm trying to anticipate where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had never heard of any of this yeah. before joining the company and it was, um, really fascinating to see the impact, but the exercise is, you know, everyone gets essentially two minutes to complete the sentence if you really knew me. Oh, wow. And it's, it's just a free flow. Kinds you know? of stuff. And the only rule is like you cannot think about it for yourself while somebody else is speaking, you know. Uh, so it's just meant to be free flow. And what I've seen is when people really sort of open up about challenges at work or challenges, you know, even in their personal life it creates a mutual context within the room that really kind of prevents other types of misunderstandings uh, from happening. And, and that is like the foundation on which we're one of the foundations on which, you know, really big decisions are kind of made smoothly, uh, which is, which is really exciting. A simpler version of that is a, a, just a color check-in, right? Which is much less involved, but uh, are you green, yellow, or red? Right. Um, pretty obvious what what those mean but Green, like how are you things feeling are today? cool yeah things are great yellow not so yellow, so. okay you yeah. know red like i'm not so good I'm terrible don't, don't I, I honestly right. don't don't talk to me <laughs> and stuff like that it, it creates a, uh it reduces miscommunication but i mean again i'm i'm assuming there are people out there i like to think there are people out there who are taking notes <laughs> I mean, seriously because i think startup companies are hard and yeah this is unique so well i'll i'll be totally honest um yeah few years ago, if I was listening to me say that, I wouldn't take notes. I would think that that, that doesn't make sense. But having experienced it, it uh, it's enormously valuable. So every meeting, not every meeting, but most meetings meeting. that you have, somebody, the the, the, the uh, leader of the meeting will say, let's let's start. If you, yep. if you really knew yeah. me. Especially, I would say it correlates with the gravity of the meeting. You know, like when you're really kind of trying to tackle some deep problems or deep opportunities, um, which are obviously common in like an executive yeah. session. Um, it's kind of an icebreaker. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a emotionally intelligent icebreaker. Um, and that smooths out a lot, uh, which is exciting. And that's just one of the structures. There's many things we do around uh, reflections, um, uh, performance reviews, things like that, that really kind of seal uh, seal this ethos. And, and really kind of it comes down to, to feedback. Because we do these things, it's very easy to give feedback in a way that's direct and kind. Actually, earlier I mentioned our values of love and excellence, right? Mm -hmm. Within each of those pillars, we look for behaviors. And one of the, the love behaviors is being direct with kindness. And we actually interview on this. You know, we look for 
uh, real stories of of how people give feedback, not just can you give because anyone can give feedback, sure. yeah. but how somebody gives feedback, uh, really balancing that like high degree of care and high directness is is very much part of our culture uh, and how we screen people. And that's created an environment that has enormous amounts of trust and, and works really fast. You know, one of our excellence values is moving uncomfortably fast. But, but all of these behaviors are, are interlinked. Boy, I think that's, I think that's fascinating. Um, we're going to take a short break. Our guest this hour is Kaj Mother, who's the Chief Operating Officer at Choose. Stay with us. We're going to continue the conversation. This is Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. Welcome back, everyone. This is Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's Business Radio. I'm your host, Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Kaj Mother, the Chief Operating Officer at Choose, which is spelled C-H-E-W-S-E. Um, and when we left off, we were talking about, uh, I, I have to say, it's a fascinating and unique internal culture at the company amongst the 250 employees, employees there. Um, during the break, Kaj and I were talking about... Um, you know, the the benefits of, um, how do I put it, really kind of revealing your personal self as a means, as a, as a catalyst for getting work tasks completed when you're working in a team. I mean, I know here at Wharton, I mean, we were also talking a little bit about Wharton, but what was, what was new to me when I first got exposed to Wharton is that in business school, or at least here at Wharton, everyone is assigned a team. And it's a it's a project team in all class assignments. You work as a team, yeah. and the intent is to to simulate real business conditions where you're thrown in with other people who come with different experiences, different backgrounds, different beliefs. And your mission is to make is to work together as a team. And I can tell you, there are some teams. Most teams just hum, mm-hmm. but there are some teams that are really dysfunctional, and yeah. and they require. Uh, major surgery to get things to work right. And I just think uh, it sounds to me, Kaj, that at Choose, you guys have found a formula to kind of get through the speed bumps and get around the, the rough parts. <laughs> I, I wish it was as consistent as a formula, but yeah. I think it's definitely directional. Um, and and it's, it's, it's funny you're talking about uh, sort of the group projects um, and that sort of that style of learning. And uh, I'm kind of trying to think back at, at sort of my memories of, of doing that. And I'm wondering if the most effective groups I were in were with people who I also had developed a personal relationship with outside of the classroom. And that sort of, you know, eased tension or conflict yeah. or made it easier to communicate when I felt blocked or when they felt blocked without me even realizing it, you know. And uh, I'm curious because you mentioned that there's a variety of teams that some that are working well, some that aren't working well, I would, I think it'd be fascinating to dig into, you know, do the quote unquote ineffective teams, do they have a personal relationship? Do they know each other? Yeah. I think, I think everyone craves, you know, connection, authentic connection. I think that's well put. Yeah. That's where, that's where the opportunity is. That's what choose sort of has figured out more or less. So let me swing back from one side of the pendulum to the other side. What, what, what is the company's financial model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so uh, you know we we're a managed marketplace, right? So um, on one side, we've brought on a host of great local restaurants, and we've developed uh, custom menus with them that sort of fit our family style model, you know. And then on the other end, we've developed relationships with customers. Uh, our primary, you know, order sizes are between uh, fifteen and uh, you know seven hundred people per order. Oh, wow. Yeah. So quite, it can get quite large. Our, our core customer is actually 50 folks or, or above per order. Wow. That's when you really start to get the host involved in. And, and, and that that's also a substantial um, requirement of the restaurant that's providing the yeah. food, right? And that's why we're a managed marketplace. We go and work with the restaurant to develop the logistics, the food uh, menu that, that makes sense for this style of ordering. You know, because and, and there's a reason why we don't really go under 15 folks, because at that 
point, you could use one of the consumer alternatives, you know, but once you get, you know, 15, 20 people, you can't just pass around a phone anymore and ask people to pick <laughs> what they want. And if you yeah, do, yeah. You're, you're spending a lot of money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's when you look to a service like ours that really creates a supply that makes sense for the way, you know, you want to eat. So just to pick at the business side of this, so when you walk into a restaurant and say, hey, we're from Choose, we've got an account, it's probably going to represent 150 meals per setting. And uh, the first question is, can you accommodate that volume? Yeah, so so we'll go in. How do you screen for the restaurants? Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's a few things that we look for. You know, off off the cuff, we're of course just looking at the food quality. You know, what are the ratings? What are the reviews? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, but then to really kind of understand if the restaurant is going to be a right fit for the platform, we try and understand their logistics. You know, what is your kitchen no look like? Yeah. What is your and, and it's it's okay if for, for many restaurants we actually do their first type of large order format, their first catering format. And that's okay um, if you don't have a catering setup already. But there's certain things that we look for to kind of get a sense of if if they can handle it, if they can handle the load, the amount of orders. So, Kaj, do you get involved in that? Or do you, is, at this point, you've been able to identify, you delegate that to people who are good at what they do? Yeah, so, so I'm fortunate to have, you know, really great people in, in every area I oversee. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I get involved as, as needed. So when, when choose walks into a restaurant, I mean, they look with a critical eye in terms of whether this, yeah. this restaurant is going to be able to fill the bill. Yeah. Right? And folks who are far better trained than me kind of can just go in and tell, you know, uh, and there's key dimensions, you know, yeah. that, that we look for. Um, I, I mentioned the square footage of the kitchen, uh, different types of like understanding how the chefs operate, what the staffing levels are like, what they're, you know, even something as like open times matters a lot uh, for us because the food that we're serving, you know, because it's large amount of folks that, that we're serving, it has to get made at a certain time. So does the restaurant, you know, already bring people in, you know, at, at the time we need them to, to cook the amount of food? No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Timing is everything. Yeah, and, and it's really important for us to kind of highlight that is a big differentiator for us. You know, some of our competitors run their own kitchen. Um, but for us, food quality and variety is is really important and it's kind key. of engaging yeah. in the yeah. local community is really important as well, mm -hmm. both through the donation aspect and also with uh, empowering local restaurants. Um, and, and that's that's been pretty valuable and customers really resonate with that. So still focusing on the business model Flip it over to the to the to the corporation mm -hmm. that's that is the cons consumer of your food services. Yep. yep. So most of our our uh, are there accounts that you you turn down? Hey, hey, look, you know, you guys are great great company and whatever, but you know, we have a, a way of doing things, yeah. and this is we're not going to deviate from it. Or how do you how do you manage that? Yeah, and and you know that's something that's that's uh, important, right? To really grow the business, we have to be very clear on what we are good at and what we're not good at. Yeah. Um, so most of our business is with customers who order on a recurring basis. It's not always scheduled like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but but there's a degree of predictability and consistency to it. Um, and, and they learn from that too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some folks didn't even realize they're ordering consistently. But when we, when our account executive dig into, you know, what their needs are, we, we sort of realize like, Oh, a schedule makes sense for you actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, which is always exciting. And it's, it's that aspect is key to our business. And we, we have turned down folks who are just coming to us for like a one-off event. You know, yeah. my favorite example is like, we'd never do a wedding. Obviously we wouldn't do a wedding because it's not sometimes, a company, but like we wouldn't not do one off a, events yeah. either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we wouldn't do a, a, a singular grand event for yeah. a company. We do something that has more, uh, an expectation of continued mm -hmm. business. So, um, Let's see. I wanted to skip forward and talk about you as the COO of the company. So in this context, um, I mean, as, as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, you cover a lot of waterfront. And I'd, uh, it's a lot of waterfront because I didn't realize there are 250 employees within the company. So um, you're also covering geographies. Right. I yep. mean, your, your mission is four markets. So you're traveling from location to location. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to get to each market um, once a month uh, 
honestly, I'm probably failing to do that. So I yeah. need to uh, uh, do that a little bit better. But uh, so, for example, with Austin launching today, um, I was in Austin last week and also early February. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Los, I travel to Los Angeles pretty frequently as well. For people just joining us, I'm speaking with Kaj Mother, the COO at Choose, which is a very unique uh, corporate food catering business. And we're talking about, um, we talked about at the beginning of the program what this title COO means. But in the context of a company that is venture-backed and you've got, you know, four locations now, I assume you continue to expand and you've got a bunch of employees. Uh, I mean, you, you do cover a lot of ground. So what is it? How do you, I guess planning has got to be, be a big part of what you're doing. I mean, yeah. uh, part of it is internal planning. I, I, it, I'd also like to, when we get through this, is to talk a little bit about your relationship with the board of directors as a non-CEO and non-founder of the company. So we'll come to that second. But talk, sure. talk about how you keep the uh, railroad running on time. I, that's all about planning. Yeah, so, you know, we're actually uh, in quarterly planning right now. Um, we We do it two weeks before the start of the quarter. So is this forecasting or planning? Tell me what planning means in your, in your definition. Yeah. So, so for us, it's sort of setting the objectives. We use sort of an OKR system. Mm-hmm. Uh, where OKR means objective and key results yep. mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, it's, it's kind of like a tree, uh, a decision tree almost where we have one clear primary company level objective, which has a few key results. That, that lets us know how if we hit it or not. So it could be sort of the, sometimes it can be like the primary financial metric that we know we need to hit by the end of the quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the key aspect of that is it's prioritized above other mm-hmm. metrics. Um, and then those key results become, become objectives at the next level. And then it sort of flows down to the point Throughout where, the entire organization. Exactly, exactly. So there's sort of this company level um, which has uh, uh, these OKRs. And then you get to a point where teams are doing planning and it should tie directly into these these higher level OKRs. So OKR, the OKR system is, I've heard this before, it's an established way of setting of... of it's sort of a way of a, alignment. That's Within the entire organization. Exactly. So everybody's pointed alignment. in the same direction. Exactly. Exactly. And, and both are key, right? Not only is everyone point, aligned, pointing in the same direction, but what the company wants to do is prioritized through this system. And that's really important because throughout, you know, the quarter or the year, you know, we also do yearly planning, um, different things are going to come up. And having that sort of baseline of what we've already pre-decided what the company cares about more. So it's grounding, right? And, and of course, there's flexibility built in, but it's important to have a starting point so that communication becomes a lot easier. So are you the architect of the OKR system within Choose? So I, I run that process, yes. So that's your responsibility to, yeah. to make sure that that system is alive and functioning? Yeah, and that's pretty typical from the other COOs I've also talked to, to kind of uh, define the, the, you know, there's the CEO's vision and the kind of top level decisions that are made as executive team. Uh, but then really breaking that down into the plan and how it's actioned and holding folks accountable kind of falls into that purview. So, so Karsh, that means you're ranging across the entire, all the people within the organization. Sometimes it may be just a brief checkpoint, but other times you're spending more time with people to make sure everybody is fully focused on the right objectives within the system that you've created? Yeah, so it's sort of like think of it uh, as twofold, right? Uh, the, the core of the role is, yeah, it ranges over the whole organization. But then there's certain areas that I zoom into more, certain areas uh, our CEO Tracy zooms into more, mm-hmm. um, and so the rest of the team as well. How many direct reports do you have feeding into you? Uh, at this point, it's probably up to nine. But wow. uh, there's a path to – I think the optimal number is closer to six, seven at our stage. Yeah. Um, and it's because we have open roles. You know, we're hiring ahead of product right now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I run – I oversee product and engineering. Um, but uh, I'm directly managing our PM team right now while we're hiring for this role. Uh, but when that's, once that's hired, it, that would come down. So, 
So, so talk about your reporting. So you report to the CEO of the yes. organization. And what is her name? Tracy. Tracy. And a lot of the culture I was describing earlier uh, comes from her philosophies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, But so you, you have a reporting relation, a formal reporting relationship to Tracy. And then there's a board of mm-hmm. directors and you've got VCs on the board. Right. So you mentioned at the beginning that you do attend board meetings. Yes. yes. And, and it's I'm just for people who are listening trying to understand within their organizations, you know, who gets to attend the board meeting and who doesn't. I mean, do you have, I'm interested in your thoughts or comments about that. Yeah. And, and that's is always, it, maybe to start, is it useful for you to attend the board meetings? I, absolutely. And I actually have really close relationships with the members of our board, uh, our VCs and, you know, independent board members alike to the point that I can text them about operating problems and and we hop on a call and and have a conversation if needed right and i think that type of relationship is incredibly valuable to to uh to ensuring the company is is sort of aligned and in step and moving forward quickly i mean i was going to ask i mean this is your first gig as with a venture backed company isn't it uh with a with a formal vc yeah yeah we're backed by the foundry group um, which is incredible. They're incredible partners. They're, they're well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my question would be: I mean, notwithstanding your experience and your educational background and all that, I mean, you must run into speed bumps. Uh, you must step on rakes or come. Uh, you confront issues that you haven't confronted before, and maybe you don't have an instinct about how to resolve them. Do you? Who do you turn to for not not for answers, but for a? Um, a sanity check or a sounding board on whether you should go in one direction or the other. I mean, do you have somebody? Yeah, of course. I mean, the first person that comes to mind is of course, Tracy, our our CEO, right? We, we have a pretty um, clear relationship where things like that we bring to each other all the time, you know, Uh, uh, beyond that, we have a core executive team, um, as well, that also is an incredibly close relationship. Anybody outside the organization that you just trust inherently for their 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 business instincts? Yeah, I would uh, call out actually all three members of our board: um, uh, uh, Brian from the Foundry Group, um, Zach, and uh, and and Russell Cook are are all enormous help. You know, um, and and kind of the first person I turn to outside of the organization. Beyond that, I've I've sort of been, especially since our last raise, when we really started to talk about how do we accelerate nationwide, I've been seeking outside mentorship as well and sort of building relationships with uh, uh, folks who are further along in in the startup. Just, just of your own initiative, thinking, geez, I, I need to be, I need to stay two or three steps ahead of this curve. And the way to do that is to start. Yeah, and it was really prompted by looking at how my role has changed. You yeah. know, when when uh, as the company becomes more capitalized, we can hire folks with a deep experience set in an area. You know, we've we've since the last raise, we've added you know really top level you know heads of sales, marketing, um, operations across the board, uh, and and a lot of these folks have far more experience than me. Um, which is, which is perfect. You know, it's, it's really pushes the company forward and then sort of through that process, trying to understand, well, okay, how do I continue to evolve myself and add value? You know, half time I actually turn to them for advice. Um, yeah. and the other half is, is sort of looking out beyond the walls of choose for folks who can kind of tell me about their journey. Um, so this concept of mentorship though, I mean, it's a question I've asked of other guests and you get a range of answers, but I mean, I like your answer, which is you're, you're kind of projecting forward thinking this is where we need to be. And I need to get educated before we can take that step. Yep. So it's not a formal mentorship you're talking about. It's really people that you know through your network, but who are willing to sit down and over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and yeah. say, let, let me, let me or share just a telephone call. Yeah. You, this morning I was, um, I, I had been connected with the COO of a company called Rover, which is doing really well. Yeah. Um, and just had a chat with their COO about, you know, how, how he scaled that company and just, just learning, learned so much in just one hour, you know, 
Um, so I, I highly recommend, I actually uh, recommend it a lot to my direct reports because as the company's growing so quickly. Each are their own individual initiative. That This yeah. is where we'd like to go. And by the way, everyone carries that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of uh, another behavior in our excellence um, uh, value. It's owning your personal growth. You know, there's a strong belief at Choose, and, and we, this is another thing we screen for pretty actively. Um, in the hiring process. In the hiring yeah. process that, you know, to really keep up with the pace of uh, what a venture back company needs, roles are going to evolve so fast. And you have to really kind of own your own personal growth to make sure you're always seeing what's around the corner and take that personal responsibility uh, very seriously. And so mentorship is kind of my way of doing that, looking for folks yeah, who've done it, sense. you know, and, and that's been really valuable. Yeah. So we've, we've got about a minute and a half or two minutes left. Um, so it's a cliched question, but I'll ask it because it can be responded to in different ways. You know, of all the skill sets that you bring to the table, and now they're thinking out, there are people listening, they're taking notes, they want to know. As a COO of the company, what's the skill set that you bring to the table that is most important for a company at the stage that Choose is? <laughs> I wish that I knew. The, yeah. <laughs> if I find out, I'll yeah, let you know. Yeah, yeah, I better go go ask my team <laughs> and survey the results. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think there's an element because the scope is so wide. I think there's an element of being able to connect dots quickly. Um, and, and, and know where to dig, you know, what area needs more attention because time is limited, right. And priorities are, are priorities, but you, you can't do everything and you have to be okay with that. So I think maybe it's about seeing, you know, the entire forest and trying to, to, to integrate it all together, I guess. And yeah. I don't know how well I'm doing, but that's, that's the skill I hope I have. <laughs> do you like what you're doing? I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, and again, we've got about 30 seconds, but what, what, what is your leadership style? I mean, it sounds like you're very kind of clinical and measured and thoughtful, but I don't, I mean, what, how, how do you see your leadership style? <laughs> I'm going to put, people are definitely taking notes and they're all employees that choose. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be honest, it's, it's quite situational. You know, it, it's sort of, uh, there's, there's times I call for really pushing something through and times for, you know, really stepping back and allowing um, things to develop and, and people to develop. And I think it's about knowing which tool to use when. And yeah, yeah it's roughly how I think about it. So cool. we are out of time. All right. Thank you for Gosh, having it's me. It's been great for coming on the show. Um, where can people go to learn more about the company? Well, you're welcome to email me or come by for lunch. My email is kosh at choose.com or else you could... Uh, kosh is K-A-S-H. Exactly. Yep. Or else uh, the website, choose.com. And, and uh, of course, if you're, if you're hungry, you could experience a full service as well. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, to jo for joining us this afternoon. As a reminder, we are live every Monday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific. Once again, special thanks to our guest today. We had Owen Thomas, the business editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, Linda Crawford at HelpShift, and now Kaj Mother from Choose. Also thanks to our production staff, Dana Cash, Charlene Goto, and Dion Simpkins. I'm Doug Collum. You've been listening to Barry Adventures on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you.